Hi everyone, welcome to the Minute Women Live. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. Oh my gosh. They you're got all, our music? You're all here? You're all here? Again? Grace, your Why? parents are here? My parents showed up and it's very sweet. It was very surprising. <laughs> very surprising. <laughs> I mean, I cried. I don't know if you cried. <laughs> I mean, I've seen them more than you have that's in true. my lifetime. <laughs> that's, so that's, it was that's a, true. a little less of an emotional roller coaster, but a very nice surprise. But a very nice surprise. So, hi, Mom. Hi, I get to actually say hi, Mom. And hi, Dad. Hi, Mitch. <laughs> hi, Catherine. Yeah, it's very nice. So, can we get a round of applause for people who've never listened to the podcast? Is there anyone here who has never listened? Oh, oh we have oh. some new people. We have a smattering. We have a smattering. So, we'll just take a second to explain the podcast. So, yeah. Minute Women is a Canadian history podcast where each week I, Grace, explain the deeper stories behind a Canadian Heritage Minute. To me, Linnea. To Linnea, yeah. who has no idea what the story is going to be about. I, it's a surprise every week. Every week. But for our live shows, we do something a little bit different. Yeah. We do a segment called Should Have Been a Minute. So we both find stories yeah. from Canadian history that we think are just hilarious or just deserve to have more spotlight put on them. It's actually quite stressful. I'm used to just showing up. Like I just show up. I have I have shown up um, minutes before we record. I have shown up not. I have shown up out of sorts. I have shown up after moving. I have shown up. Well, very hungover. Various states of emotional distress. (laughs) Yes. And I just show up, and Grace does all of the, like, heavy work. But, uh, so it's a little stressful for these shows, because, uh, I actually have to, like, do things. But she does a great job, you know? We're not gonna undersell. I think last, last time we did this, you told us the story of Jumbo the Elephant. I did. Which was... (laughs) An amazing story that yeah. you can go listen to now. Well, not now. Please. Well, please. Uh, please. Well, Refrain you're from listening to another podcast while at a live podcast. I think that's basic etiquette. That's, that's um, kind of true. But um, after this, you can go listen to it. Yeah. That's and excellent. you did, for our last one, you did the Dion Quintuplets. I did the Dion Quintuplets. But we're not yeah. going to do those this week. No, sir. This week, we have brand new stories to share from Canadian history. Yeah. But that are not Canadian Heritage Minutes. But should have been. But should have been. Yeah. Yeah. So is everybody ready? Can we get a round of applause if everybody's ready? So Linnea went first last time. I did. So we've decided that I will go first. Because I was very, very nervous. I'm less (laughs) nervous this time. Still nervous, but uh, but less though. So Grace is going to start us off. So I'm going to start us off. And when I was researching, when I was trying to come up with a topic... Initially, it was it was in and around Valentine's Day. I thought this show might be a little closer to Valentine's Day initially. Yeah, we originally thought it might be closer. And so when I think, like, romance in Canada, I think Niagara Falls. Uh, who doesn't? It's the honeymoon that's capital where, of the world. That's where my great-grandparents had their honeymoon. They're, sh- they are part of a, a cult a of legacy, people a cult. who go and honeymoon <laughs> at Niagara Falls. They go and they're like, we're married. You know what we need to see? A lot of water the falling falls. over a cliff. <laughs> That is the most romantic thing that I can conceive of in this moment. But it's a tradition that goes back uh, to the 19th century. Okay. So that's when the site kind of became a romantic getaway location. All right. Um, Theodosia Burr Alliston, who was the daughter of Vice President... Theodosia? Theodosia. Theodosia. Yeah. Oh, wow. She was the daughter of Vice President and Hamilton murderer Aaron Burr. 
Oh, <laughs> you love murder. I, love I get murder. it. We need a little yeah, bit of it in every episode. Yeah. But her and her new husband were the first recorded couple to honeymoon there in 1801. Oh, Napoleon, they were trailblazers. They were trailblazers. Soon to follow was Napoleon Bonaparte's brother, Jerome. Shoot! Yeah, so he had a wife from Philadelphia who was also like crazy. That's a whole other side story that okay, we do okay. not have time to get into, unfortunately. <laughs> so is this, and this is, is this the Canadian side or are we covering all of Niagara Falls? So it's kind of like all of Niagara Falls. Covering all the falls. I okay. assume that they're on the American side, but the biggest fall is on the Canadian side, Horseshoe Falls. Yes. So probably a bit of both. So I'd both imagine sides. that they're they're rich, wealthy people. They they're travel. probably crossing the border frequently. Yes, yes. Um, so it was at first just limited to the wealthy for these like this new social custom of honeymooning at Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. But when the Erie Canal on the U.S. side of the border opened in 1825, Niagara Falls became accessible to middle class lovers. Oh well, <laughs> that's me, a middle class lover. The middle class, the sexiest class of people. <laughs> I think we can all agree. The bourgeoisie. <laughs> Um, before long, railways were also bringing honeymooners to Niagara Falls on a daily basis. Damn, we love a good train story. <laughs> we love trains. This is everything. We've got murder, we've got romance, we've got trains. <laughs> and I'm not even to the point yet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Honeymooning at Niagara was so popular mm-hmm. that it was in the feature song of the year in 1841. What, so the, the Billboard the Top 100. What is it? It was called Niagara Falls, My Niagara Falls Honeymoon. That was the song? That was the song. <laughs> like a real song? That was the number one hit no. of 1841. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how they record that. I feel like they just walk around <laughs> the streets of New York and they like hear what songs are being shouted on corners. Yeah. And they're like, this one's really popular. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, in 1839, a newspaper reporter wrote, quote, I have counted several cooing couples near the falls, both Canadian and Americans. <laughs> Fulling, uh, fulfilling the fleeting period of their honey lunacy. <laughs> okay. I like that in the past, whenever people are really happy, <laughs> they're like, they're, they're crazy. They're freaking crazy. Do you see how happy they are? Oh. There's something wrong. This, yeah, this is even like pre-depression. <laughs> like, they don't, they're like, ugh, happiness, ugh. Well, you know what really boosted the reputation of Niagara Falls? Tell me. The American Civil War. Oh my God. <laughs> I bet it did. So, oh my God, you made it home? <laughs> Go to the falls. After we build a gazebo to commemorate your three dead brothers... Let's get married and go to Niagara. Oh, no. Your tears will blend into the falls. <laughs> yeah. No one will notice. There'll be so much mess. And it'll be so loud that you can cry yeah, you can and, like, cry. keep your masculine aura. You know, I've never been to Niagara Falls, but I, so, and this Me is, neither. like, this is, yeah, I oh, my God, twins. So, this is, like, honeymoon there. Oh, can we get married? <laughs> okay. Sorry, let's Eric. Just, let's just have a honeymoon but not get married. That sounds incredible. That's what we can do for your birthday. That's well. Well, not Niagara. Not this year. But Next year we maybe. can honeymoon. <laughs> but uh, but not for real. Um, the only thing I know personally that that reminds me of, and it's like slightly depressing, so I'm just gonna go over it quickly. Good. Is uh, when I was in New York, the 9/11 memorial is oh. just like, but it's just like so loud. It's just like crashing. I know, right? I shouldn't have. I like. It's just thoughts live, right? I just went there. I just um, like the idea that like <laughs> Niagara Falls just edged out the 9-11 memorial for most romantic place that you can go for a honeymoon. Okay. Okay. Like, just. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, but it was stoicism. loud. No, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of water, uh, and I do remember. And I'm not a making jest, like like it was. Yeah, but you, it, there was a big sign that said you couldn't bring soap in. Oh yes, because yeah. of like the fear that people would like like would put prank soap in and prank and like put soap into the water. Yeah. But it was like you got patted down for soap. It was like nothing else. Like everything else was chill. Guns, yeah, knives, guns, booze, drugs. drugs. Fine. Perfectly acceptable. Soap. soap. Get out. Yeah, you gotta leave. That's why New York was the COVID central because <laughs> they weren't allowed to have soap yeah. for so long. Yeah, New Yorkers were that's without why, soap because they were like, oh, we can't have soap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so, continue. Um, so now, if you go, it, the, their website is like, it's the honeymoon capital of the world. I don't know what yeah. authority vested that title in them, but, you Statistics. know. Um, and thousands of honeymooners still visit the falls every year. If you honeymoon there, you can get a free honeymoon certificate issued from the Niagara Falls mayor. Like when you get screeched in in Newfoundland? I think it's the same, yeah. Do you have to, do you have to like, kiss? Something. Each other. Each other. Have you ever been screeched in? No, no. Okay, one thing I might add is that, and I I don't know if it made it better or worse, but when I was screeched in, the cod, the fish, for those of you who don't know, in Newfoundland, you go, and if you're not born in Newfoundland, you can get screeched in as an honorary Newfoundlander. And you have to say some things and drink some alcohol and kiss a cod, kiss a codfish. On the um, mouth. On the mouth. The cod that I kissed was frozen solid. I think that's best. And I think that's best. That's yeah. best. Because at first I was like, ew, like it's, like it's cold, like yeah. ew. But then I was like, do I want like a floppy fish? Like I guess <laughs> I don't know how long it's been there. Like I think frozen yeah. was a better option. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I 100% agree. Yeah. So you can get a certificate though. I love certificates. <laughs> We, that would be an amazing cross-country tour if oh the object God. was to collect as many, many insignificant certificates yep. as possible. Yep. Just like, where can I go that, what small town can I go do a stupid thing and get like a town certificate for? In Dawson, so you many. can kiss a toe, like a human toe. Ew, yeah, that Gross. was an episode of something. Departures. Oh, Departures. Great show. Yeah, great shows. Uh, if if this, well, the boys from Departures ever want to come on um, the Men and Women podcast, we will gladly have you. We yes, they're Canadian icons. They are Canadian icons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will Justin and Andre and Scott. And Scott yeah. Even with his eyebrow ring, like <laughs> you can come on. A nice mid two thousands barbell. Barbell right in yeah. his eyebrow. Still there, according to his Instagram. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I mean, stick with it. If stick with it. Yeah. It, if you're gonna do it. it for a TV show for three <laughs> seasons, you know, commit. Yeah. Commit. Commit. Um, but, so, Linnea, we're close friends, yes. you might say. You, one might say. One might say. Yeah. I would, just, would you describe <laughs> me as a romantic person? No. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Okay. So what do you think the other thing I think about when I think about Niagara Falls? The people in the barrels. Absolutely. Yes, so. okay. <laughs> I Excellent. love that Niagara Falls can embody both, like, the most romantic <laughs> moment of your life and some of the most idiot Thing, yeah. idiotic thing you yeah. can do yeah. as an adult person. Yeah, I'm so glad I got that answer right because that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, I'm like this. It's is such an oxymoron. Funny, for a but place. like let's let's get in a barrel. <laughs> Imagine uh-huh. if those things overlapped. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Like you're there on your honeymoon and, like, and oh, some babe, idiot babe, babe. is in a barrel. Or you're like, or you're like on your honeymoon and then you're like, babe, 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 let's just get in a barrel. Let's get in the tandem barrel. <laughs> and let's let's go. I know we just said that we were gonna start our life together, but what if we ended it right now? <laughs> what if we just changed it? <laughs> so we are going to talk about the queen of idiots. The first the person, lady, the, the girl. first person to go over the falls oh, in yes. a barrel, her name was Annie Edson Taylor. And I only know about her because as I mentioned at the beginning of this, my great-grandparents, my great-grandmother <laughs> and grandfather, vacationed at um, at Niagara Falls. And so Did when, they meet her? No, but like once you say that, mm. people are like, oh, like did you know about the lady who went over the falls in a barrel? Like, And that's all I know. Yeah, you don't know a whole lot of I detail. don't know anything. I just Great. know that she went over the falls in a barrel. And lived. And, and well, spoiler alert, oh, but yes. Sure. <laughs> That's okay. Nobody listened. Nobody, Nobody listened to me. I don't know anything. Nobody was listening. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so, there were trailblazers that kind of lead to Annie. Oh, okay. So, she is the first person to go over the falls in a barrel, but she's not the first person to be like, what if I do something Can stupid at Niagara Falls? Can you tell why, Eventually, we'll are we to gonna it. get there? We'll okay. kind of get to it. There's, it's a very kind of indirect reason as to why people are like barrels, falls, good idea. Okay. What other stupid things do people do? So, the, in October of 1829, Sam Patch, who called himself the Yankee Leapster, jumped from a high tower <laughs> into the gorge below the falls and survived. Not in a bucket. Did not say how high the tower was. And no, it was not in a bucket. He just yeah. jumped. He just jumped. He's a free jumper. Okay. Um, and this began the long tradition of daredevils trying to go over the falls. In the summer of 1859, Jean-Francois Gavalet Blondin, also known as the Great Blondin, began a famous series of tightrope walks across Niagara Falls. Oh, I hate that. That stuff <laughs> stresses me out. These slackliners, for anyone here who like does the slackline thing, like that just stresses me out. It's the new hacky sacking. Yes! I'm just like... Why? Why do you want to do that? Like, yeah. why do you... Why? Like, I just don't understand. I don't fully understand either. I also don't understand how they get the rope tied there. That's a... Yeah, I... It's a question I have. I have these... I have these people, you know, I'm high picturing, like, a hook, and you swing it a lot, and then yeah. you... Okay, because that's what I picture. But I, I think that's wrong. I don't know if that's real. It's probably um, but, wrong. Like these people I have like on my Facebook and stuff from high school, and I'm just like, oh, like that's what they do now. Like you, you slack line. Um, I'm like, that's great for you, but why? Yeah, it's all about the slack now. <laughs> like yeah. I still get, but hack, hack is out. Slack is in. So out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to see my dirty feet on a quad? Come slack line with me. No, I don't. <laughs> Um, okay, so he tightrope. He tightrope walks, but and tightrope walking is kind of the first big stunt. And at he Niagara. would have had no like rope, like slackline, like they're like tied on. Oh, okay, no. So it's so he would have died. So he's just walking. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Um. So the axe drew crowds as large as twenty five thousand people. Which is just people showing up to see if someone's gonna, gonna die. die. <laughs> but that's we've talked that's about that. That's like the that's like eighteen hundreds to nineteen hundreds. Like really, yeah. like entertainment is oh, like man, it's like people like, would go to executions, executions and be like, this and is hangings, great. exactly. It's like yep. this is sick entertainment. <laughs> it's like what what a cinema what? Like no, like let's watch somebody die or maybe die. Maybe like, die. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Blondin crossed the gorge eight times. 
Why? In increasingly difficult ways. Why? Like riding a bicycle. I hate that. Pushing a wheelbarrow. I hate that. <laughs> like, I actually, like, that bothers me. <laughs> People are so stupid. Like, this is so irresponsible. Yes! It's not, like, whose wheelbarrow was that? Where's your mother? What if you lost that wheelbarrow? That's probably your nana's. <laughs> You're concerned about the wheelbarrow. Yes! Someone needs that back. He's an idiot. We're gonna but need that to barrel back. back. <laughs> you need those baskets back. And then he even crossed with his hands and legs bound in chains. Which I don't even know how you do that. You just like penguin shuffle across the road. I hate that. <laughs> His most difficult crossing took place on August 19th when he managed to carry his manager over the rope on his back. Well, that guy's an idiot, too. <laughs> who's more dumb? Yeah, who's, the, who's stupider? Who's stupider? Because, like, honestly, if he was balancing and he's, like, slipping or something, you know the manager's going. Going. He's like, all right, save myself. Like, you've got to know yeah. that he's not saving you, buddy. You, like, you get on his back, he's like, okay, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. But also remember, you mean nothing. Yeah. Go like, off with like someone more important in yeah. your life on your back. Yeah, like the queen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Elizabeth's not that stupid. British people not that stupid. Yeah. <laughs> in 1886, Carlisle Graham performed Niagara's first barrel stunt. So okay. now we have the emergence of the barrel. Why? <laughs> so Carlisle was a cooper. He's an English cooper. Oh. As we learned recently, a person who makes barrels. Right. I had this whole revelation about Shelburne and their, like, barrel yes. factory and Cooper's Inn. Like, it all makes sense. It all, thousand points of light come yeah. together <laughs> about coopers and barrels. I get it now. <laughs> I get it. And he had recently immigrated to Philadelphia. And so, basically, how I understood it was that to try and draw attention to his barrel-making business, yeah. he was like, look how strong my barrels are. So strong, so I can strong. get in it and throw it down the falls. Basically. So his plan, he's not going to go over the falls. Oh. His plan, he's just going to go down the river, which is a very rough river. Okay. Um, like and then, rapids, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. So on July 11th, he came to the falls with a five and a half foot, or five and a half foot barrel of oaken staves and handmade iron hoops. Five and a half foot. So, for anyone who's not sure how tall it is, I'm five feet. Yeah, so it's bigger than so you. It's a it's, huge It's barrel. bigger than me. Like, These are custom is a, barrels. This is, a, this is custom made. Yes. Good thing he's a cooper. It's bespoke. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a fancy barrel. This is a fancy barrel. Yeah. And his plan is he's going to go from what is now Whirlpool Bridge down <laughs> the Great Gorge Rapids and then end at the Whirlpool. Th that's and like Dora the, the Explorer. That's like, what is it? Like, Whirlpool, whatever. Like... <laughs> and Dora the Explorer, she's like, you gotta go through this and over that. Yes. And then you get here. Like, he's... <laughs> we need our map yeah. to tell us about exactly. this journey. Go to your backpack. Yeah. So, Carlisle was six feet tall, and so that meant he needed to, like, hunch over in his barrel. Bit, yeah. Once the lid scrunch. was screwed into place. He was completely encased in a waterproof canvas sheath. Except for his arms, which allowed him to hold on to the mounted metal handles on the inside Shut of the up. barrel. Oh, inside. I was like, I'm imagining his arms outside the barrel. <laughs> it's just like, do 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 Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just a man in a barrel. Like, <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> it is 
now. It is forever in my head. I mean, you have like that weird gimmick of people wearing barrels as a kids wearing boxes. So I think of like when kids are like, oh, I want to be a robot, Um, and they like put on a box, and then they fall, and their parents like, oh crap, because you've got no arms to like fall on. So the kids are just like laying on the ground. A common parenting. Uh, journey. I, uh, I don't know. That will go on maybe someday. Maybe. It <laughs> happened. Know, after our honeymoon at Niagara Falls. <laughs> um, so the initial trip took 30 minutes. Carlisle survived, but had become extremely ill and dizzy from the ride. Because you're like a, a cork in the ocean. Just <laughs> you're just like bobbing along. Yeah, you're like a barrel in Niagara Falls. It's not stable. <laughs> it's not stable and a bad idea. Doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> um, his success led him to create, uh, like, recreate the stunt several times. No. So he's also like, man, a lot of people showed up to watch me do this. I'm going to do it again. Kind of like us with the slideshow. Exactly. We were like, oh, like, people came the first time. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And here we are. <laughs> Though I would say this is much less stupid, I'd hope. You know, oh, I thought you meant that our first death. live show, and I was like, Grace, our first live show was really good. <laughs> oh, I didn't stupid. tell you. You didn't hear the reviews. <laughs> you thought it was stupid. You didn't read it in the Chronicle. Oh, my God. No, oh, I didn't. Oh, my God. Know. They were scathing. No, they were scathing. Scathing. We're at Cape Breton now. <laughs> It'll be, this will be in the post. I love the Cape Breton post. I, I love okay. to make fun of the Actually, Cape Breton post. Actually, can we just take a moment to shout out <laughs> CBU, who oh, has been yes. our supporter since, like, the beginning. I know. Like, CBU so is wonderful. And they just they just posted again. They posted our Viola Desmond episode, yeah. which is like so sweet. Like yeah. they don't they don't need to be doing that. They don't, but um, they do. So thank you to do. my alma mater. Yes, thank Cape you. University. To Grace's alma mater, um, <laughs> Cape Breton University, for being so supportive of our podcast. We're <laughs> actually on their link tree. <laughs> their which link is tree. just so sweet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're so supportive. And that makes me wish I had gone there, but I didn't. There's always, there's never, it's never there's, too late to go to time. CBU. Uh, <laughs> that that's, should be their motto. <laughs> that's their motto. You're now. never too old to go to CBU. To go to CBU. <laughs> yeah. Never too dumb. Never, <laughs> never too Great. late. Shh. They're nice to us. Well, they take, they're a very accepting school. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I'm too She's, t- I'm she's joking. So, on his second attempt, um, he, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this again. But, you know, we got to make it bigger. Got to make it better. More flashy. It's got to be flashier. It's got to yeah. be spicier. Yeah. So this time around, uh, the slight variation was he left his head outside the barrel. <laughs> no. <laughs> so just a man. That's better than the hand. Just imagine just getting, like, choked and stuff. And your like, head would just be bashed. Like, I just... I'm even thinking of like a roller coaster. I don't know if you've ever been to. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Upper Columbus Park. It doesn't I exist haven't. anymore. My brother got to go one time with my cousins, and I didn't go. And ben, to this day, your he brother, just in. your brother Ben. Oh, hello, Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, Aiden. Um, I, 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 to this day, I remember being like, my life will never be correct. <laughs> like I didn't get to go to Upper Columbus. So Park. I will say the roller coaster at Upper Columbus Park for those who have been. It's a it's an old rickety. I mean, it's a wooden one, right? Like store, but yeah, it's an old rickety wooden roller coaster, and it's like whiplash central. Like the <laughs> fact that more people don't like 
sue and have to get like physiotherapy afterwards is insane. Because, but I think it's because it's kids. Because you're just like, like it's insane. And so that's the only thing I can imagine is having my head stuck out of a barrel is like being in the wooden roller coaster at Upper Clemens Park. Yeah, like 50% of the operation budget of Upper Clemens Park is covering up the whiplash story <laughs> exactly. from the roller coaster. It's a scandal. <laughs> It's an unknown scandal. Yeah. Breaking on the Minute Women podcast. Breaking news. Breaking. Like the your now, <laughs> The now closed Everclones Park actually closed because of the Whiplash scandal. Mm. Uh, yeah. The movie Whiplash, originally going to be about Everclones Park. Exactly. But they paid for the cover-up, so exactly. then they had to make it about drummers. Right? <laughs> Who's in that? My, uh, the guy Miles who plays Teller. the bad guy in Spider-Man. Miles. <laughs> James Franco? Simmons? Is that his name? Oh, I'm confused. It's Miles Teller. Miles Teller is the young guy. I'm okay. thinking of the teacher. I don't know the teacher. I'm going to see this I'm later. Spider-Man He's in the one. peanut commercials. What was it? Somebody? Anybody? Simmons, yeah. It's, I didn't hear the JP. <laughs> JJ? <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Close enough. The voice from Northern Normal Podcast here helping us out. Yeah. Um. Minute Women Podcast. Close enough. <laughs> That's our motto. That's our new motto. Um, so his second attempt, he leaves his head out of the barrel. The stunt resulted in permanent hearing damage. What? Um, people also what? like. No, I can't hear you. <laughs> I'm all the stop damage. going down. The, you have to stop. You have to stop. If you're gonna go down Niagara Falls in a barrel, right. put your head in. Yeah, please. <laughs> just put your, just stick your head in that Keep barrel. Keep your head in. Um, the stunt, uh, yeah, it resulted in permanent hearing damage. And then also, people liked to borrow his barrel. So they would, like, go to him and be like, hey, I want to do the thing that you did. Can I borrow your barrel? That's the stupidest thing. Because <laughs> then it's not bespoke anymore. Right? Yeah, it it's needs to be, you. you know, special. It's got to be specialized. Yeah. Um, so two men, George Hazlitt and William Potts, successfully conquered the same stretch of the river as Carlisle using his barrel. Later, later Hazlitt borrowed it again and went down the river with his girlfriend, Sadie Allen. So we do have some crossover with the honeymooning honey situation. And, yeah. <laughs> Tandem barrel. First child conceived in a barrel going down Niagara River. I wonder. I wonder. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that was the plan. Maybe they were like, oh, let's not just go down in a barrel. Let's go down and bang in the barrel. <laughs> and they'll never see it coming. <laughs> Nine months later. Nine months later. Um, in 1887 and 1889, Carlisle made two more trips in a new seven-foot-long barrel. No way. He can stand up in that one. He can stand up. He's like, the lap of luxury is going down in a seven-foot barrel. With his head out or head in? Head in. Head, head, head couldn't be out. It couldn't. Unless he was just like, he had some like, spare room. Yeah. Um, now famous, Carlisle announced that he would ride his barrel over the falls, but he did not carry out this plan. So he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go over the falls. Oh, and then like he backed the, down. Like the, like, yeah, yeah actually the go river. down. Yeah. Um, on July 14th, uh, 1901. Wait, I just thought of what the baby's name would be. It would be, it would be. <laughs> I'm so ready. It would be Cracker, like Cracker Barrel. <laughs> like the cheese. <laughs> Yep, that is yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be the baby, little CB. <laughs> oh, I love you, Cracker. <laughs> Two people with a baby that they've named Cracker. Yeah, or they named it like Trisket. Saltine. Yeah. Yeah, Ritz. <laughs> Ritz. 
Ritz. Ooh, that'd be good. Ritz. I kind of like that. It's a good baby name. Um, so he made his fifth trip on July 14th, 1901. Nice. During this trip, he nearly suffocated to death after getting caught in a whirlpool eddy for 20 minutes. So the barrels have limited air supply. Yeah. Which it turns out is the main killer it, of really? people in barrels is not getting beat to death. It's suffocation. See, I would think it would be like head injury. Right? Like but it's trauma. not. It's, it's people yeah. like not having enough air supply. Interesting. So... On September 6, 1901, Carlisle loaded his bear. He loaned his barrel. On what day? September? September 6, 1901. That's, cold. That's getting chilly. It's getting a little chilly. Yeah, there seems to be uh, from like June to October. That's prime barrel riding prime. season. Prime, yeah. Um, okay. So he loaned his barrel to Martha Wagenfuhrer. Great name. Martha Wagenfuhrer. That's one name. Wagenfuhrer, one name. Yeah, uh, of Buffalo, New York, and she became the first woman to successfully navigate the rapids in the whirlpool. Are you really navigating Alone, them? Or yeah, are you just I don't think it? there's a lot of skill involved. I think it's a lot of not dying. Like I'd just be curled up in fetal position, crying <laughs> <laughs> and, and praying. Just to just to set the record straight, I would never do this. What do you mean? What about this story so far has led you to believe that any of this is a bad idea? Um, no. Well, I'll tell you why it's a bad okay, idea. Okay, tell me. Not, of all, not all of Carlisle's barrel stunts were successes. Excellent. Um, I'm ready. Well, he's deaf already, so. He's already deaf. And on September 7, 1901, like literally the next day after Martha went, Carlisle arranged a double performance with his friend uh, Maud Willard of Canton, Ohio. Maud's Maud a lady. Maud's a woman. And Maude was going to ride the barrels through the rapids to the Whirlpool, and then both she and Carlisle would swim the rest of the way to Lewiston. No. So my understanding is she rides in the barrel, he helps her get out, and then they both swim the rest of the way. Okay. At the uh, Whirlpool. Uh, to, yes. So she rides it from the rapids to the Whirlpool, he helps him get out there, and then they swim to Lewiston. That sounds dumb. Uh, it is dumb because okay. Maude rode uh, in Carlisle's barrel through the rapids and then was caught in the whirlpool for several hours before she was rescued. <gasps> hours. Maude was found suffocated to death in the barrel. Oh, no. She had taken her pet fox terrier no. along with her. No, is the dog also dead? And no, the dog's don't. nose don't. plugged the air hole. So the dog's nose Did is it live? stuck in the... I think the dog is oh, fine. Oh, wow. okay. That's... <laughs> it's okay. Well, the dog didn't have a set. You're right. Like, she made this she choice. She made the dumb choice, But for that sure. poor dog yeah. was drug along into this barrel. It didn't want to go. Like, I'm, I'm a dog mom, so, like... <laughs> it's true. I, I don't know. We would never put Bowie in a barrel. Never. Don't put Baby in a corner. Don't put Bowie in a barrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was good. <laughs> that was good. That the was rest a, terrible. That was a joke, That's and it was it. funny. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the reason she dies is because the dog. <laughs> okay, well. Nevertheless, Carlisle would go on to inspire many like-minded no. idiots. <laughs> like-minded idiots, yes. But it would take 15 years before anyone would actually surpass Carlisle by going over Niagara Falls. And what year are we, like, kind of in? So he's doing his stunts late 1800s, Right, 1900s. so we're not... We're, okay, yeah. Yeah. So we're just like early 1900s, probably right now. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. The first person to do this was Annie Edson Taylor. Okay. So she's not just the first woman to do it. She's the first person to ever go over the barrels. Get or it, go over girl. the balls in a barrel. Yeah. Go over the barrels. Go over the barrels. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so just caught up in yeah. the papers. It's just all about the barrels. Also, the more I tell this story, the weirder the word barrel sounds. Right. What a terrible word. What a terrible word. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's like rural. Rural. Barrel. Barrel. Yeah. Is this good content? No. <laughs> Should we just keep saying words? Barrel. Rural. <laughs> it's not good. Mark's cringing. Mark's actually crying. Producer Mark's Mark, crying. He's canceled the podcast. I'm it's, sorry. We're canceled. Um, so Annie Edson Taylor was the fourth of 11 children of a mill operator. Fourth um, of 11. Her father's name was Merrick and her uh, mother's name was Lucretia. No. <laughs> no, one more yeah. time. Lucretia? Is that with a Q? No. Okay. Not yet, <laughs> anyway. It could be now. No one's reading this Wikipedia page. I can change it. Get on there. Minute Women Podcast. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the family lived in New York State, and when Annie was 12 years old, her father died. You know, that thing that really sets you on a path of glory. You know, it's like it's like a Disney movie. Yeah. Kill off one of your parents and yeah, you'll you need have to success. at least be half orphaned. Yeah. At least. Yeah. If you want to go anywhere. So we're screwed. Yeah, we've got we've got loving parents. We both have loving parents. Yeah. <laughs> we have not been set up for success. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I at least have divorce in my story. That's true. You have yeah. this lovely We'll count that as like a quarter. Caring quarter family. <laughs> amazing parents who drove here from Cape Breton. Loving brothers who are here at your show. It's very nice. It's so nice. It's disgusting. <laughs> Move on. My dad said he's watching the TV. So. <laughs> Um, so he was killed in a tree-cutting accident on the farm. Why? As you do. <laughs> As you do. And then, you know what else happened? No, tell Her me. Her mother died not long afterwards. Oh, of course. <laughs> Full orphan. So she's like, let's get in that barrel. I got nothing to lose. <laughs> I got nothing to lose. 14 years old, barrel. <laughs> no way. She's 14. So when she, her mother dies, she's like, 14. oh, okay. okay. Um, at the age of 14, she and her two older brothers were sent by their guardians to attend the Conference Seminary and Collegiate Institute in the village of Charlottesville, New York, about like, 50 miles west of Albany. We don't got time for you. You go to this private school. I don't know if you know this, but there's 11 of you. Yeah. So some of you, it's it's fight or flight now. Some of you gotta go. You are 14 years old, ready to take on the world. So we're gonna send you to college. So good. During her stay at the seminary, she roomed with another student by the name of Jenny Taylor. They became close friends and eventually became relatives when Jenny married Annie's brother, uh, Delano. And in 1856... Delano? Delano, Who yeah. are these people? I don't know. The mom's name was Lucretia. Delano? Delano. Nice. Um, in 1856, following four years of school, Annie married Jenny's brother, David Taylor, a oh. medical student from Branchport, New York. You're just cutting off your family tree. What do you mean? Well, if she married oh, you her brother, to be more she married her brother. Yes. Like that's it. Your kids are gonna have the same grandparents, like all around. Like that's right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would need a visual to understand fully. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint to I explain know. the family tree. I know. 
I thought we'd be talking more about barrels. Okay, we'll keep I, going. I knew we were talking about barrels, and that's all I prepped for. And that's all that's all I'm ready for. I brought a barrel. You it's out do you back. Want to see it? I can roll I want to it. see it. If anyone's never seen a barrel before, I can roll it. Grace in. can go get one. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it during the intermission. Um, so David was about 13 years older than Annie. Oh, so the so the man that she's Naturally, married, a lot it's older. the early 1900s. What's new? What's new? They had only one child, but the child was uh, died shortly after birth. So um, both her parents died. She lost her first. Lost born. her first baby. She got some trauma. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> It so, it's believed that her husband, David, enlisted in the 19th Infantry in Auburn, New York, in 1861. He was a first lieutenant in the Union Army. Taylor was wounded in the Battle of Weldon Railroad in Virginia on either June 21st or June uh, 23rd in 1864, and then later died of his wounds. Ah, uh, okay. So, now she's got no mom, no she's dad, no baby, and no husband. <laughs> She's out there alone. Okay. This is when we turn to barrels. <laughs> this is when we're Some like, people turn to the bottle. I got... Others go straight to the barrel. <laughs> to the barrel. <laughs> Although, Annie's one of those people. Annie is one of those people. Although Annie claims to have been widowed at the age of 20, it's more likely that she was widowed in her mid to late 20s. This is another thing. She's constantly lying about her age. Okay. She's like, well, I'm 40 when she's fully 75. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you said that the husband, like supposedly like went to this war like yeah that sounds like like maybe she killed him you're thinking that annie murdered her I husband i think it's about murder <laughs> i just you know i love that i do love because it sounds like such a fake battle it's like oh right. yeah he died I'm at uh, weldon uh railroad maybe on this day maybe on this day just the props around her she's like coming up with the name of a battle and there were so many battles that no one questioned her she was like uh weldon uh railroad yeah that's a battle and he's dead anyways um actually he's in the deep freeze (laughs) or the ice box i guess because it's the early 1900s. <laughs> it's just like, no one will ever find him here. I just need to replenish the ice in this ice box for 60 years. And I'm golden. Golden. <laughs> break. So, she decided at that point that really the only option would be to become a school teacher. It's one of the few occupations women could have. School teacher, um, nurse. Do you want to know what she taught? Tell me. Physical culture and dance. That's not real. <laughs> Surprisingly, she couldn't find a job. That's not real. <laughs> so physical, what you teach. I don't know what physical culture is. Can you just tell me? I don't so, know. I don't know. We're lucky enough to have two don't. teachers, at least two teachers in the audience, oh, Gretchen and Mariska. Um, does does cultural what physical is culture physical culture and dance sound like a teachable subject to you? It Gretchen does. says yes. I would say it's just a feeling. <laughs> like either it's you have feeling. it or you don't. Or you don't. Like either you can be in that class or you can't. I've been taking salsa classes. Turns out, I don't know if you can learn salsa. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, turns out you don't have it. Turns out I don't have it. You wouldn't be in that class. My favorite joke over the last few weeks has been it's very chunky salsa. That's funny. Did your did your salsa teacher tell you that? Did he look at you and say your salsa is very chunky? Uh, no. But he did say the other day that uh, the class needed to have more energy. <laughs> energy, energy. <laughs> no. Um, 
on, man. So Annie's moving around a lot. She's trying to find work. She lives in. She's Bay trying City. to find herself. Herself and work. Yeah. She's living in Bay City, Michigan, and then San Antonio, Texas. Um, but she can't find work. She's increasingly becoming lonely and impoverished and despondent. And that means that she's ready to make some really dumb decisions. <laughs> that means she's ready for the barrel. As a publicity stunt, Annie planned to mimic Carlisle's stunt, but push it further by actually going over Horseshoe Falls. Yeah, girl, So she's also it. going over the biggest section. Yes. And, like, the most dangerous part She's got nothing Niagara. to lose, Grace. Girl's she's, got nothing to lose. The girl has nothing to lose, uh, except her life. But, you know, apparently that doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, this project required a lot of engineering, and it seems like Annie contacted Carlisle about the design of her barrel, and he may have even constructed her barrel, though another source said that she had it made at a different cooperage company that was located in West Bay City, Michigan. That's cool. The barrel was four and a half feet high and weighed 160 pounds. To provide ballast to keep 160 the, pounds? It's a big barrel. Plus her in it. Yeah. So, you know, we're topping 200 pounds yeah. of floating device. That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of girth. <laughs> I guess you want protection. It's, you probably, it's probably a thicker barrel than right. a normal barrel, I'd right. assume. Um, to provide ballast and to keep the barrel upright in the water, a blacksmith's anvil was bolted with iron bars to the barrel's underside. A small hole was drilled near the top of the barrel into which a threaded rubber air hose would be screwed to allow Annie to breathe snorkel See, fashion in smart. case she exhausted her that's, air. That's smart. Yeah. So, so we're learning from the past. We're learning. We're growing. We're developing. We've said suffocation, a problem. Not cool. Something humans can't overcome yeah. when trapped in a barrel. Not breathing. How do we prevent suffocation? Snorkel. Snorkel. This is the scientific method yeah. at work. Okay. Engineering. I respect that. I respect it too. Yeah. A leather harness and cushions were inside to protect her body, and there were handles put inside as well so she could support herself. This um, is a woman at work. This is a woman at this work. This is not Carlisle. She's, She's like, like, if I'm going to go over the falls, I want at least a cushion. Yeah. You know? Something. I'm going to be fancy. <laughs> if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. <laughs> it better be down, too. Yeah. Like a if, down like, cushion. Like, I want a down cushion. <laughs> if I'm going to die, it's going to be on down. I also love it that we're saying it like someone's making her do it. But probably like everyone's really? like, maybe don't. Yeah, and she's just like, a down cushion, please. She's like, I need a down cushion. Yeah. And everybody else is like, but what if you just didn't? And she's just like, that's not an option. Not a choice. Yeah. Annie hired a promoter of carnivals, fairs, and other exhibitions. No. His name was Frank Tussie Russell of Bay City, Michigan. Oh, Bay City. Bay City, baby. Baby. He seemed like the perfect choice to manage a high diving feat. One of Russell's first jobs was to secure local help to launch Annie in her barrel from the Niagara River. So they need like people who know how to navigate the river in boats so they can get the barrel out on a boat and then the barrel off into the river okay, at a good okay, place. Okay. So there's a, a team that is required to make this thing happen. That's also good. I'm glad yeah. she's not doing it alone. I agree. Yeah. yeah. She's not like like wheeling her barrel out and then screwing like, the lid on every, herself. Bye everybody. <laughs> I'm gonna go down to the barrel now. I love it. She's like a publicity stunt and then she's like oh I forgot to tell people I was oh, doing hey. this. She like whistles. No one's showing if up. If I could whistle I would but she'd whistle <laughs> and be like, I'd be like hey everybody watch this. 
This is some bullshit. All right. We have a gathering of three squirrels <laughs> to watch my barrel feet. Uh, well, so inquiries led Russell to the Buffalo Avenue home of the brawling teamster named Fred Truesdale. A strong, wiry man with a black, bushy mustache, Truesdale had fished and hunted ducks on the Upper River for years and knew its occurrences and temperament. Well... Sounds got, like the man who's got a mustache. <laughs> he's got my bow. <laughs> I'm into it. A number of times at the request of other would-be daredevils, Truesdale rode across the rode across the river and dumped a barrel overboard in a current that sweeps over the horseshoe's western rim close to the Canadian shore. So he's done this before. <laughs> so he's tested it out. He's done stupid shit. He's before. tested the waters, if you will. <laughs> It seemed to have been Truesdale who suggested sending Annie's barrel over the falls on a trial run first with a cat inside. So he's like, you know what? No one's ever gone over the falls before. You know what we should do? Put a cat in there first and see how the cat this does. This is like when they first started sending like, like life forms to space. Yeah. And they were like, oh, let's send a monkey. Like let's send a dog. As I said before, I'm glad her dog lived, even though she didn't, because that wasn't the dog's choice. No. No. He's probably traumatized forever. Forever. I mean, this is around the same time as Jumbo, too. I was like, going to say, everyone we're talking about is dead. Everybody we're anyway. talking about is dead. Yeah. So. so the day before the big day came... <laughs> um, and the eve, of the eve of the big day, Annie's barrel was removed from the lobby of the State Park Hotel and taken into an alleyway, perhaps behind the hotel, where Annie posed for pictures inside her barrel. Painted on the staves were the words, Queen of the Mist. Oh, <laughs> nice. On the afternoon of Friday, October 18, 1901, Russell and several helpers rolled the barrel into a dray and brought Annie's pet cat named Iagra. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The cat's okay. name is Iagra. And okay. Iagra uh, was put into the barrel at Port Day. So this is the launching point, Port Day. Okay. Um, the cat's placed inside, the manhole cover is closed, and the barrel was then towed near the Canadian shore, released, and sent over Horseshoe Falls. Contrary to rumors at the time, the cat did survive the plunge. Thank God. And 17 minutes later, the cat was found with a bleeding head and was posed with Annie for some promotional photos. Oh, God. It's a long day for the cat. That poor cat. What That's one name? of its lives. Does it have a name? Iagra. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I, I blocked that out that fast because I was like, that's not real. That's not a real name. So the next day, October 20th, 1901. Okay. Annie sets out to attempt her stunt. Annie's like, let's freaking do it. But weather was clearly an issue. Why? So there's a lot of really strong winds. Okay. So, but they go down. They're ready to do it. But then Truesdale at the last minute was like, "No, we can't do this." Truesdale was like, "This Truesdale is a bad idea." Truesdale steps in. He's well, like, "Thank God for that guy." Yeah, he's just like, "This is the wrong day to do this. So let's let's delay." Yeah. So he does. Four days later, on Annie's birthday. Okay. You want to know how old Annie was? Well, yes. She's 63. No, shut up. Annie is, it's her 63rd birthday. No, thank you. And the voyage was rescheduled for that day. That lady's old. Yeah, she's like, but well, she's like, okay. I'm gonna do it. She's not young. 
She's not a spring like, chicken. Can I picture if, you, if I'm gonna go down in the mirror, like I want to do it in like my my youth, like I want to <laughs> do it in like my pre thirties. But like, as we talked about, she has nothing to lose. So maybe for her, this is like. Well, she's pretty desperate. I feel like yeah. we've, we've communicated that to some extent. Yeah, okay. Um, but I guess this just shows that, like, age does not equal wisdom. <laughs> you can stay dumb age for a but long a number time. Right now. No. <laughs> just being 63 doesn't mean you're not stupid. So on her 63rd birthday, um, so that would have been October 24th, that day uh, at 2.30 p.m., a boat containing Annie, her barrel, Fred uh, Truesdale and William Holleran pulled out from Port Bay and went to Grass Island. Just before the boat was pushed off, Annie turned to a cataract journal representative and handed him an empty envelope, on which was written an address, Mrs. Jane M. Kendall, Eddytown, New York. This is my sister, said Annie, and in case of an accident, and I should not come back, will you kindly notify her? <laughs> Well, she didn't she, even write the note. She uh, just wrote an envelope. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, that's some forethought. <laughs> it's a little bit. It's a little bit of like, you know, I might die today. It's not the same as having a will, but uh, not at it's all. something. Not at all. But I mean, if you're throwing yourself down the Niagara in a barrel, like, <laughs> I, I can't imagine what your will would contain. I will, and it's also like a surprising amount of forethought for someone who's going to go over a barrel or exactly. go over the falls in a barrel. Precisely. Annie changed her clothes and entered the barrel at 3.30 p.m. The boat pulled within 200 yards of the Canadian shore, where the water is deep, and there at 4 p.m., the crew said goodbye to Annie in the barrel. The current caught... Bye-bye, Annie. Bye. The current caught the barrel immediately, and it was swept rapidly toward the tossing waters of the upper rapids. Thousands of spectators watched Annie's progress from every available point. The barrel hung well in the Canadian Channel. Once or twice it disappeared in the boiling water at the foot of the reefs, but each time it emerged and was carried onward by the current. At 4.23 p.m., every spectator watched breathlessly as the barrel made the plunge over the crest of the Horseshoe Falls, passing over about 200 feet toward the Canadian side from the center. The fall was 158 feet. One minute later, the barrel was seen floating in the foaming waters at the foot of the falls. Did she make it? Carlisle Graham waited on the Canadian shore, about 50 yards below the falls. The barrel veered into the big, vast eddy. Carlisle and a helpful, a handful of other uh, helpers leaped onto a reef in the pool. After several attempts, a man named Mark Mundy snagged the barrel's tow line with a grappling hook. Several men pulled the heavy barrel out of the water and onto the rock. Quickly, they cut the lid off. One man, on his hands and knees, poked his head inside, cradled on a saturated pillow with a sickly white face, turned its, a sickly white face turned its eyes upwards and blinked in the flood of daylight. She's alive, he cried. <laughs> on a what pillow? A saturated a saturated I love that. I love that. Not only was Annie alive, but she was also miraculously uninjured. Other than a small gash on her head, the 63-year-old woman was perfectly fine. I mean, but, by some I definition. mean, I was going to say, <laughs> I don't think she's fine. Would you like to hear what her account of it was? <laughs> of course. So later in an interview, she said, 
I felt as though I was being knocked to pieces and churned all over. That all just nature... Just like butter. <laughs> just like butter in a barrel. In a barrel. <laughs> that all nature was being annihilated. I thought of trying not to break my neck. I caught on <laughs> to the side straps. After the men sent me adrift, I closed my eyes and prayed to God to spare my life. I struck rocks three times, and water seemed you to come in the know, barrel Annie. everywhere. You couldn't see. <laughs> You're in a barrel. I knew when I went over the fall, and I lost my senses. Just a minute. I am not a sporting woman. I have always lived a good life, and I'm not afraid to face God or man. <laughs> it was this crazy lady. I don't know. If it was with my dying breath, I would caution anyone against attempting the feat. I would sooner walk up to the mouth of a cannon, knowing it was going to blow me to pieces, than make another trip down the falls. <laughs> so in other words... Don't do it. I regret it. I regret it. <laughs> this was a good idea. Following her stunt, Annie made a number of appearances. Don't do drugs, kid. Don't do drugs. This is your brain on drugs. <laughs> Annie the Barrel. This is your brain on Cracker Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Annie made a number of appearances at local gatherings, including the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo. She spoke of her experiences and sold postcards uh, of her and her barrel, along with a short biographical story she had written. Shortly afterwards, she and her manager, Frank Russell, became embroiled in a monetary dispute during which Russell made off with Annie's barrel. <laughs> they just, like, run off in the night with the barrel. I can just measure him. <laughs> just, they're at, like, a show, and he's just like, oh, 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 grabs the barrel, runs away. He's, like, walking on it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I need that barrel back. I <laughs> need that barrel back. Annie fired Russell and through the courts, Annie was able to recover the barrel. Annie then hired a new manager. His name was William A. Banks of Youngston, Ohio. Ultimately, Banks deserted Annie and stole her barrel. <laughs> it's well, all she has. Annie, just keep hold on to your damn barrel. Annie had received word Banks was rumored to have sold her barrel to a certain theatrical company for $500, and Annie was never able to recover her coveted barrel. Poor Annie. From 1912 to 1919, Annie lived at a residence on Cherry Street at, in the south end of Niagara Falls. It was during this period that she became a familiar figure in souvenir shops and on the sidewalks where she bugged tourists to purchase copies of her biographical sketch. For several months at a time each year, she left the city to visit her older sister, Mrs. Kendall. On November Is this the one who she wrote was... Okay. This is the one she's close to, so it's really her sister-in-law. This is the one that marries her brother. Oh, right, right, but this is the one she was going to send the letter to. Yes. Okay. On November 6, 1919, it was reported that Annie Taylor was almost completely blind. She always blamed her ailing health on the fall. I don't know how that blinds you, um, but, you know. You know. If that's the ticket, keep, keep running with it. Keep it. Keep going with it. On March 4th, 1921, Annie, penniless, sick, despondent, and sightless, was taken to the Niagara County Infirmary at Lockport, New York. The examining physicians concluded that her blindness was permanent and she probably only had a few weeks to live. At uh, 4.30 p.m. on April 30th, 1921... How do you know? Four, at precisely 4.30 p.m. I mean, people keep records. Suppose. <laughs> um, Annie Edson Taylor died. 
To save her from the disgrace of a pauper's grave, a few friends started a movement to raise funds to have her buried in the historic Oakwood Cemetery, where Captain Matthew Webb, Carlisle Graham, Francis Abbott, and other heroes of Niagara Falls were buried. Aww. In July of 19... 19- thoughtful. I know. And, like, <laughs> apparently Carlisle did not like Annie, and they're, like, buried right next to each other. That's funny. And some people are like, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, in July of 1933, her grave was marked by a polished stone measuring two feet high and 16 inches across. The, the Much more smaller you know, than the barrel. The more you know. <laughs> and that's the story of Annie Edson, the first person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Huh. Well, thank you for that. No problem. Yay! Yay! Oh, hear that? What's that, Grace? That's applause for you. We're holding for it. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Well, that was the story of Annie... Edson Taylor. Edson Taylor. Yes. And uh, on that note, we are going to take a quick intermission. And we'll be back for Linnea's Should Have Been a Minute. And we'll be back. Thank you. Hello, and we are back. We're back. The Minute Women are back. You thought we you were rid of us. You're you thought not. we were done. Psych. We're Wrong. here. <laughs> you were wrong. And I am here, Linnea, who never does anything, um, <laughs> to tell you what I think should have been a minute. So I am so excited. I never get to go in not knowing something. I know. <laughs> I know. So I tried to make this a special one for you. I tried to make this a good one. Um, I tried to make it entertaining. So we've got, <laughs> we've got some happy times. We've got some sad times. Some good times, some bad times. Highs, so, lows. Exactly. We've got we've got crippling disease, literally. <laughs> um, so today, so today I wanted to talk to you about a man who is a bit of an icon from my hometown, from your hometown of Lunenburg, Nova of Scotia. Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. I'm so excited. And also the art community as a whole. So do you have any idea who I'm going to be talking about today? I have no idea. Okay. So the person is the amazing artist Earl Bailey. Earl Bailey. Have you ever heard of Earl Bailey? I have not. I feel like a bad Nova Scotian right now. You're not. You're not. (laughs) So uh, Earl Bailey was an inspiration to others in overcoming physical challenges to lead a full, productive life. And we're going to get into why. Okay. So ever... Earl Bailey. He went by Earl, which okay. was I, I couldn't really find out if that was his middle name or just like he was like Evern is a stupid name. I already relate to him on a spiritual level as on someone who goes by their middle name and, and always has. Right? So he always, always went by his middle name. He brought attention to Lunenburg, Nova Scotia with his artistic accomplishments. Um, and his engaging personality. So he's a really personable guy. Okay. And you don't even know everything that's going on with Earl. So, <laughs> stricken with polio at the age of two. Okay. <laughs> trauma. Good start. Earl lost the use of his arms and legs. Okay? So, uh, so he was spurred by a love of the sea, um, <laughs> nature, and fishing life of his community. Okay. And he learned to draw with a brush clenched between his teeth. Oh, wow. Okay. So, he developed a remarkable talent for painting. Um, and he developed a highly refined sense of color. So according to the art world, he developed uh, this sense of color and composition um, and being well-read in art theory and practice. So 
He traveled to many cities in Canada and the U.S. Okay, so what time frame? So when was he born? Sorry. So we, we are we are going to get there. I'm going to take oh, okay. you back to oh, the okay. beginning. Okay. I just wanted to hook you. This is like, like the, Wikipedia, the Wikipedia this short is like, thing. This is like gotcha. my preface. This gotcha. is like I want to I wanna get the audience engaged. Because, <laughs> um, you know, they already heard your story. I wanted to make sure they really bought in to the story of Earl Bailey. I love this cinema verite um, moment of like, this yeah. is what I'm doing. <laughs> so this is... Can you shut up? Can yes. you just listen? Uh, I don't do this all the time, okay, Grace? Um, so he's been in, in Canada and the U.S. and Bermuda. He's been achieving recognition at hundreds of galleries uh, for his Paul Davis maritime scenes. So let's go back to the beginning. Okay, Grace. I'm ready. We're going back to the beginning. I am so... Is everybody ready? Is everybody ready? To learn about Earl to Bailey? To learn about Earl? Okay. In June of 1903, and was in every way a normal baby boy. Okay. He was lively and mischievous, but when he was barely three, catastrophe struck the Bailey household. Okay. An epidemic of infant, of like infant paralysis, was sweeping through Lunenburg um, <laughs> and the rest of the province. Okay. And Earl contracted it. So this okay. disease was polio. Okay. So, for those of you who don't know about polio, it's a very disabling and life-threatening disease caused by the polio virus, mm -hmm. uh, cause, and it can cause paralysis and limb loss. Yes. Um, I so used to play tennis with a guy who was, like, uh, well into his, like, 50s and 60s who had polio, no but he would, like, crush in tournaments. He played two-handed both ways, yeah. forehand and backhand. So Earl yeah. crushed in the art world, much <laughs> yes. like that man did in tennis. <laughs> His name was Norm. Well, shout out to Norm, Norm another polio survivor. <laughs> Great Nova Scotian. I'm pretty sure he might be in the Nova Scotia Sports Hall of Fame. That's I'm not joking. very cool. <laughs> did he win a girdle? What? A dirtle? Did he <laughs> win a dirtle? Okay. For those who don't know, I am a Dirtle champion. That's a big of 2012. Deal. She won a tennis tournament called the Dirtle. It's it is the most prestigious uh, Nova Scotia Open tournament. It's a really big. By deal. which I mean the opposite. It's behind Beck <laughs> ed, uh, Education Center in New Waterford, Nova Scotia. New Waterford. Uh, no, no, no. For all, any of you who don't know, when you say New Waterford, you have to say New Waterford. It's it's one word. New Waterford. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know... You kind of sneeze it. You can, like... Bless you. <laughs> on the way home, I got stuck in the oh, Davis yeah. Day Parade, uh, and therefore... The, the Dirtle the, Champion. The Dirtle Champion was a feature of the parade. Of the parade. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. So, um... So the polio virus causes paralysis, and it the virus spreads to from person to person, and usually infects a person's spinal cord. Yes. Um. So, in most cases, it went completely untreated, and even at times undetected at this time. Oh. Like okay. in the time that Earl Bailey was alive. Like so, people would be transmitting it, not exactly, knowing. Exactly. Not happen. knowing. And so, maybe they should have been wearing masks. Exactly. And stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so. Many people, especially children, died from the disease because of infections related to limb loss. Loss? Yeah, so people Whoa. would lose their limbs. Ooh, it didn't okay. just cause paralysis, it would cause limb loss. Okay. So when Earl contracted polio, he was lucky to be able to fight it off. However, his, as said in this article by the Lindenberg Art Gallery, his little arms and little legs... <laughs> 
Um, remain my little legs. useless. And my little legs. <laughs> remain useless. So he's tiny Tim, but like all exactly. four limbs. Exactly. Just the four limbs. So uh, the <laughs> doctor. Tiny Tim all over. Exactly. So the doctors told his parents that he would never walk again and that his arms would remain deformed and unusable for the rest of his life. Um, so, so not super fun for not, not the best start, um, but you know. Exactly. Up and up. Exactly. <laughs> At least he's not going over in a barrel yet, you know? Exactly. He's like, I still have something to live for. I'm not going to try to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel just exactly. yet. So early in his life, um, they thought that Earl would spend uh, kind of the rest of his days in a bed or a stationary chair. Okay. Um, but luckily for Earl, his parents had the means to fit him for a wheelchair. Oh, great. Um, so he was, they, they were, he was a bit more privileged at the time. Okay. And was able to be fitted for a chair that actually had wheels on it so that he could move and be like moved around. Gotcha. Um, so, at, so Earl is three years old at this point though. So he's just a baby. He's gone through a lot. Yeah, so Wait, at three years of age... Do you think it's better to start with a wheelchair kind of thing and then you just have that for your whole life? Or do you think it's, like, harder to, like, know how to walk and stuff and then you have to, like, adjust? No, I do. It, it, it's the same as, like, for me. I think if I was ever blind, like, I'd rather be born blind than, like, right. have the experience of seeing color and then, like, know what you're missing. It's like you don't know what you're missing. Right. You just, like, learn to adapt. Yeah. I think that would be... I think that would be... For me, at least personally, I agree. Um, so at that age, like he's three years old, so babies are usually starting like to gain independence in their movements, and Earl just suddenly lost all of his. Like there was gonna be no progress. <laughs> Mother, yeah, I am seeking independence. <laughs> I have no coordination in my limbs. But I can't achieve. Yes, exactly. <laughs> also, if he was born today, he would have like a Hot Wheels. Like, oh. You know, kids had Hot Wheel beds. Yeah, he would have a Hot Wheels like wheelchair. wheelchair. Exactly. So, but Earl had courage, as his mother would say when speaking of her son, he had indomitable courage. Indomitable courage. So, that's his mom. And no working limbs. So, it was not enough for Earl to sit at his window and watch the ships go in and out of the Lunenburg Harbor. That's not enough for our little three-year-old girl. He did have his... I'm sorry. I'm just picturing, like, this, like, three-year-old's body with, like, (laughs) limbs that don't work, but then, like, the head of a 75-year-old man, and he's just like, this bed is not life for me. Like, he's, like, having these internal monologues in black and white. He's like, I need to see the world. It's like I said. I said to Grace earlier that... I wish that I had a visual aid for this episode. For what he looks like? Because I have to say, his arms and legs, when I say they were deformed, they did not grow. So So as he grows, he literally has little arms and legs. Of a two-year-old child? Well, they're a little bit bigger, I think. And then, like, (laughs) but, but like a normal-sized human head. I'm not laughing at victims of polio. No. I would just like to throw that out there. I'm happy that that does not exist anymore, but... Exactly. That is a funny visual. Exactly. (laughs) Which is why I wanted a visual aid. So, he had this indomitable courage, according to his mom, but it was a not... And it was not enough for him to sit and watch these ships go by in Lunenburg. Mm-hmm. He he did, however, I will say, had an amazing brother named Don. Okay. Um, Don is his only brother. It's his only sibling. And 
they have a really strong bond. And as we go okay. on, like, Dawn is a big part of his life. Dawn so really, they only like, have two kids? Yeah. That's not a Dawn, lot. I know. And Dawn is <laughs> not 11. It's not like 11 Annie, like Annie. Went down. <laughs> which, as we've learned, only results in good things. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Dawn, uh, so um, Earl only has his brother, Dawn. Um, and Dawn would carry, literally carry him along on his adventures with his friends. Aww. Um, yeah, like he that. would take him and like show him places and take him around. Um, but Earl wanted to be more independent. Right. He wasn't satisfied with this life, like as you would be. Like he yeah. would. So he wanted to do something, but you know he wasn't sure how. Uh, he was paralyzed from his shoulders down. Um, but his mother was a school teacher. Okay. So she was determined to give him at least an education. Okay. You know, she was like, she was no. like, you might not be able to go and do all the things that your brother can do, but you can be smart. He's not going to be able to participate in physical culture, I'm going to tell you that right now. Right? <laughs> exactly. So one day, she decided to show him when he was about, like, school age. She's okay. like, I'm going to teach you how to hold a pencil between your teeth. Oh. So this was her. This was her brilliant idea. So you have no idea who Earl Bailey is, do you? Okay. No, I don't have a clue. So this is. So this is key. So she gave him this pencil between his teeth and showed him how to make lines with it. Okay. And so we started off just making lines. Okay. Um, I love that she's like, "Don't worry, I'm gonna teach you how to write with your teeth." And like behind this, she's like, "I don't know what the fuck I'm doing." Yeah, exactly. But she's <laughs> I don't even know where to so begin. So she's like, she's like, "I'm a mom. You're gonna learn how to do it." I'm a mom. Um, so eventually, eventually he learned how to write. Um, and he could, you know, he was, like, writing his name. She was teaching him how to do that stuff. Yep. So, like, any kid, he tried drawing things that he saw. Okay. Um, like, you know, the first things you as a kid draw, you know, you draw people or you draw, like, your cats. Like, you start yeah. drawing, you start drawing things. For him, I imagine everything is drawn from, like, the midway of the room down. Like, not a lot of ceilings. Is what I'm saying. No. The trees are just the trunk. It's just the no trunk. No leaves. It's just the trunk. You know, it's the same for me, though, at only five feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> Granite. Granite. Um, but anyway, he eventually started uh, to, to draw these things around him. He drew, and he started drawing with, like, pencils and then pen. Okay. Um, and then his mom decided that he should move on to ink. And so he started drawing with ink. <laughs> Um, I think you're ready, son, to get black ink all over your face. So let's get ready for this, because <laughs> then Earl's mom one day, she saw that there was a drawing contest in the paper. So the local newspaper, and she's like, Earl, you gotta do it, bud. Well, it's the newspaper. Well, it's the, it's CBC, it's like the my post. mom said when we finally got, when she thought we were finally a big deal. She's like, we're at the CBC. This is a big deal. Um, You could have your shitty sketch. <laughs> In the Lunenburg newspaper. Right? It's a big deal. Everybody's going to see it. So Earl, and they're going to love it. So Earl sent in an entry. Um, well, he, Earl's mom sent in the entry. And he won first prize. I guess all these able-bodied, finger-drawn kids. Screw them kids. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, the rest of the kids were, like, doing math. Right. And he has just learned how He's to just draw. Trying. Like based on what you've told me so far, <laughs> all he knows how to do is write and draw. Basically. He doesn't know how to do anything um, else. So for the first time though, I mean like you gotta give it to him. He felt like he was really doing something. Yeah. Um, and that he was achieving something. And he was seven at the time. So nice. he's seven now. And he finally felt that like, you know, oh like wow. Like I did something and people took notice and like that's a big deal. Nice. Um, so he's finally getting what he wanted. He wants to feel normal. 
he wants to feel included. Does he? Is he like known around town, or people are like, oh, yeah. the Bailey family, the they Bailey got those family, two that sons. Boy, that or is boy he like hunchback hunch Notre Dame? No, nobody I, knows I, about. I, I think it's more like that boy with polio, like the Bailey's kid with polio. The polio kid. Uh, the polio kid. <laughs> so he's finally feeling a bit more like included, mm-hmm. um, but he's not feeling like super satisfied. Like he okay. wants, he wants more. Okay. So when cool. he was about ten years old, he started to paint watercolors. Nice. So he's really taken on this kind of like art, art world. Yeah. So he started. He's making, putting a lot of rolls in his beanie, as we would say. As one would say. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um. So he started making Christmas cards for his mom to give to her friends. <laughs> so he's like, like you did this year, much like Grace did this year. I mean, there's the the number of parallels between me and Earl are stark. I mean, we both made watercolor uh, Christmas cards. And we both have a brother. We both have at least a brother. <laughs> and I would never say my limbs have been coordinated. Like, exactly. I mean, they're full size, but I don't know if they work right. Exactly. So that's um, why I sit and do this. Exactly. <laughs> So, in all his undertakings, Earl was very encouraged by his mother. He's a big mama's boy, and she supports okay. him, and I mean, that's great. Yeah. Um, and he always gave her so much credit for what he accomplished. So, oh. he really was. He really yeah. was like, you know, I couldn't have done this without my mom. So, at the beginning, obviously, like, Earl kind of did his paintings inside, where he was most comfortable sitting in his chair. <laughs> okay. Um, but later, he was kind of encouraged by his mom and his brother, Don, and his father to go outside to paint lifelike pictures. Okay. He'd only really been painting from, like, kind of his brain, um, like, right. what he saw, but they were like, you should, like, go outside and try to paint something that, like, you see. Earl, it's the sixth time you've painted the bridge this week. <laughs> I think it's best if you go outside yeah. and draw other people's the fridges. Cat's, the cat's been dead for two months, Earl. You gotta stop painting her. The cat's gone. <laughs> but if you go outside... You You might find other cats. I also like the idea that they're just fucking sick of him. (laughs) Oh my god. Get outside in your little chair. I just want to use the bathroom, but Earl is painting the toilet for the seventh (laughs) time this week. So I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Uh, So he decides to go inside, uh, and he's painting. And at this point, um, kind of in his early career, artists who are visiting Lunarburg, um wanted to see this boy who painted with his mouth. Let's so, see the freak! Yeah, they want to see this boy who painted <laughs> no, with his No, I don't want to see the paintings. I want to see the boy. But that's the thing. So they, <laughs> went, see the boy. they went to see this boy who painted with his teeth and then they were like, oh shit. Like, your oh. paintings are good. Like, you can actually paint. I imagine them being disappointed. Yeah, they were like, they were like oh. I just wanted to go see like, the boy be a freak remember, and then like, oh, I remember, it's actually it was like a, It was like a video that went around a while of like an elephant like painting. Oh, like, yeah. I feel yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. like that. They were like, oh, like the elephant who can paint squiggles on a page. But then, like, Earl could, Earl actually had some painting chops. Yeah. Earl was so better than the like, elephant. Hands oh, down. like, okay. All right. So Earl could actually paint. Um, but they also offered their criticisms, which Earl was really happy with, though. He was like, oh, they're okay, seeing cool. me as an equal in the art world. Okay, cool. Like, they're telling you what I can approve of. Who's so, criticizing him, though? Just other artists. Other artists? Yeah. Okay, because I imagine just, like... Just, like, randoms in Lunenburg. Just the random Joe from yeah. down the street who's just like... He's like, that's a, well, that's a crap color, Earl. I'm not sure I like this one. Yeah, exactly. I preferred your pieces with the fridge. With the fridge and the toilet. Mostly the fridge and the toilet. Those were the things that I related to so, the most. With being outside, though, Earl decided he really liked painting the sea and seascapes. 
Uh, All right. And so he stopped painting such things as refrigerators and toilets <laughs> and moved on to more, more marine scenes. Um, and he eventually began to hold art exhibitions. Uh, Just so, in Lunenburg? Yeah, so his first show was actually in Lunenburg. And uh, the approval of the town was really obvious when they showed up and they bought every single painting he had. Whoa! So he's okay, because I mean, like, I don't yeah. know if anybody knows anything about art. I certainly don't. But I imagine a success is if you sell like four or five paintings. Yeah, like maybe, a, maybe, maybe like maybe an eighth of your painting. Yeah, and like the town shows up and they're like, uh, and they bought everything. We um, want everything. I also do love that it's locals who are buying it, partly genuinely. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Like the town shows up and buys his paintings, but also it's just like. There's nothing exotic about it. They're like, exactly. I want a painting of my backyard. So, however... <laughs> I want to see the ocean I see every day. Exactly. And when this happened, Earl was, like, kind of disappointed. He was like, so now I have to paint all new paintings. He was like, I, I have this intention of doing a couple shows, and you guys just bought them all. I love um, that. I love a lazy bastard. Yeah. He's like, what? So, you bought all of them? And that was his statement. So in the paper after the show, Earl's only comment was that, well... I just wish they hadn't bought them all. It's um, like, I now I have to go back and paint all new paintings because you people like my artwork. However, <laughs> because of this show, uh, the Nova Scotia Society of Artists contacted Earl and made him an official member. Oh my gosh! So he's so feeling exciting. pretty legit. Okay. He's feeling pretty legit. So th- at this point, Earl's in his early 20s. And okay. The, what year is it, do you know? Like, um, so this is probably like 19... I'm trying to see, what year was he born? I think he was born in like 1903, so this is probably okay. like 1923. 1920s, we're getting like swanky. Um, exactly. Uh, so in his early 20s, the sub, like oil painting was becoming kind of big. Oh, it's, um, it's watercolor out. Right, watercolors out, oil painting. Oil in. paintings in. So there were these artists from like France and other parts of Europe that started coming in and they were coming to Lunenburg to paint. Okay. Um, and they were painting with oils. And Earl had never right. seen that before. <laughs> um, We've never seen this before in so our lives. Never seen it before. So the you know, these artists though came in and they told Earl they're like, it would be impossible for you to do this. Like there's so much mixing involved <laughs> and like you'd have to oh, use multiple brushes for textures and like you couldn't do this with just your mouth. Yeah. Like, like you, it's, it's taken us years to kind of master this. So it's taken us a long time to get good at this, and exactly. I have my hands. So. so according to the Lunenburg Art Gallery archives, Earl sneered at this. Uh, <laughs> he sneered at those who said he could never paint oils, and he said, "Not that I have much desire to, but I don't like to be told what I can or cannot do." I love that. Um, I am so in that boat. So of he like, was like. Oh, you say I can't? Well, I'm gonna freaking do it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. the minutes, like, the, it could be just like, yeah, no. I, I, it, It's me, like, talking of, like, I would never want to play soccer. Like, yeah. soccer's just not the yeah. sport for me. And someone would be like, yeah, Grace, I don't think you'd be very good at soccer. And I'd be like, what did you say? Like, I'm the next me. I'd be the best goddamn soccer player this yeah. side of Montreal Ripping if someone gave me a off, chance. Ripping your shirt off on your knees on the soccer pitch, that's yeah. who you are. <laughs> Just so that, like, yeah. <laughs> I have a whole jersey underneath. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, so, 
Um, I, I don't know much about like Earl, like how he went on to paint in the watercolors, but I do know that like half of his works were painted in oil. Oh, okay. So like so more than half. So he went on, yeah. So he went on to be a very serious oil painter. So he achieved right. success in that. Love that. Um, now the issue was is that it, it, it took a really different technique. So in his wheelchair, he had to get a special rack of brushes so that he wouldn't get paint in his mouth. So that could be dangerous. Well, at, yeah, that point, like, at that point, the oil paint had lead and other things in it, and so it could be very dangerous to There's him. still toxins in oil yeah, paints. Like, so, if you ever paint with oil paints or if you use any of the, like, uh, fluids that you have to yeah. use to dilute it, they're just like, oh, don't, like, exactly. wash this down the drain exactly. in big quantities because you might poison the water hole. So it was it was an issue. It was also the fact that he could only get the paints. The closest he could get them was Montreal. Um, to get oil paints? To get oil paints at the time. So Ugh. his brother would travel to Montreal, get <laughs> Earl oil paints, oh. and then Don helped him. So this is when Don really gets involved in his painting career. So Don would help Earl. So the parents are getting older, and Don really yeah. took over as kind of the support his in Earl's life. His primary caretaker? Yeah. So okay. Earl would, uh, well, Don would squeeze them out for Earl, the paints, oh. and then mix them for him so that none of the paint would get in his mouth. So he would do it all with the brush, and then Earl right. would just paint with them. Gotcha. Okay. So in 1931, Earl and Don went to Eastport, Maine, um, and studied Ooh. art with George P. Ennis, who was known for his watercolor paintings and stained glass work. I love, like, you know what? I've been born and raised in Lunenburg. Yeah. I don't get a lot of chances to travel because of my physical disability, and so, you know what? I'm gonna go to Maine. <laughs> Which is basically that sounds like a brand the new Lunenburg of America. The Lunenburg of America. Uh, I'm gonna go to Maine. So he goes to the Lunenburg of America, <laughs> and, and he meets and he and he goes there to be with this guy George P. Ennis. And Ennis is most famous for his stained glass work. Ooh, um, okay. So cool. he designed and installed the stained glass. So his most famous piece is at the United States Military School West Point. So Earl's famous or? So no, his, his mentor's this, this most George famous piece. Guy. Okay, so gotcha. famous piece. So he's a watercolor painter. Um, but he does But he glass. does a lot of stained glass. And gotcha. so he put this piece in West Point, which is a big military school in the yes. States. Um, and that's kind of his most famous, his most famous piece. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so by 1933, Earl had decided that he learned all he could from George. Um, <laughs> I like that Earl decided. Yeah, that. Earl, like, Earl He shows him for smile. Yeah, Earl's like, God, we gotta go, man. His teacher is just like, all right, are you ready to learn today, Earl? And he's like, no, no. no. I've learned everything I can. It's like, but we were going to say that. This was no, no, no. I'm going home. <laughs> I'm so, going home now. <laughs> so Earl and Don decide to go home. Um, and by the time he gets home, you know, his reputation had really grown substantially. So he's like a oh, okay. full-blown artist. Like so is, even though he was gone, people yeah, were still he was like... Gone, he was still producing works, and people were still kind of watching his okay. journey. It's a small town thing. They're chomping at the bit for him to come yeah. back. Um, so he gets home, and then he's invited to do something very exciting. I'm very excited to hear it. He and Dawn are invited to sail in the Chicago World's Fair of the original Lunos. <laughs> so... <laughs> Angus Walters, the original captain the OG. Of this is a Heritage Minute tie-in. Right? Oh my so god. So tying in right now to a Heritage Minute. So the so most famous the artist from Lunenburg yeah. is now sailing on the most famous boat from Lunenburg. And Lunenburg. what I want to say right now, I mean, all I'm saying is that Earl and I have a bunch of things in common. 
Um, you know, I'm from Lindenberg. Yep. I sail bottom blue nose. Two. And, you know, other than the fact that Earl's an amazingly talented artist who survived polio. You've been through shit. We're really similar. I think you're, like, very similar Um, so, you know, not really the same, uh, but similar, uh, to be honest. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, you've never tried painting with your teeth. No. But I mean, if you tried, maybe you would become just a... Maybe it's like within your blood. Maybe. Maybe it's something in the water. actually related. And like, it's just the Lunenburg thing. And so like, if you're from Lunenburg, you might actually be like an amazing painter with your teeth. Exactly. If you just tried. A teeth painter. A teeth painter. Uh, So we're moving on now to some of Earl's pretty cool accomplishments. So I'm excited. Earl met Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> not once, but twice. <laughs> For a second, I thought you meant like not Elizabeth the first. Yeah, no, no, no. The second. No, he's Elizabeth, also a time Elizabeth traveler. He's alive now. <laughs> okay, Lizzie he too. He met her, Lizzie too. He met her not once, but twice. Lizzie okay? too, twice. Um, so the first time he met her, he met her and Prince Philip in 1951. Okay. Um, and the second time was in 1959. So these were both during their royal tours. Okay. Uh, so according to the their royal, honeymoon. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Ooh. The first time. So according to the royal archives, the first time Earl met Queen Elizabeth, he asked her for something unusual that she rarely complies to. Uh, Can you guess what he asked her for? <laughs> My brain is going to a lot of places that it shouldn't. So I think you probably okay. should just tell me. <laughs> so he asked her for her autograph. Oh. Uh, and this is something she never gets asked for. Uh, and and she actually had to check with two of her, like, royal liaisons to, like, be sure that she could give this. Interesting. Oh. I wonder if it's, like, a forgery thing. I like, think they it is. don't I want think it is. her signature out so, there. So she ended up signing a piece of paper for him. Ooh. And there's actually, and I told you, visually, there's a really sweet picture of her signing the piece of paper for him that Aww. he had asked her for. That's nice. Um... But I love that ask too. Yeah, it's like, he's like can I just have your autograph? It's like, can I have your autograph? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, however, the next time the two met was 1959, and Queen Elizabeth wanted to make it really clear that she remembered Earl, uh, so she asked him for his autograph. Nice. So she came up Hell to him. Yeah. I love Queen Elizabeth yeah. II. She so has she, a great memory. So she came up to him and his brother Don. And, like, with Otis introducing herself, she was just like, hello. She's like, can I have your autograph? Can I have your like, autograph? Your autograph. <laughs> so, like, like, quippy and cute and, and funny. I love um, that. So, res- mad respect to Queen Elizabeth for being so cool. Absolutely. Um, so, over the year... I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't want to interrupt. But, like, I'm worried when we have someone else on a coin. You know I what know. I mean? I've li- I've only ever had like one coin that had someone else on the back of it, yeah. and it's just like it better not be Charles. I know they have it ready at the mint. Good God! But if it's Charles, I'm just like sorry, I can't use currency anymore. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna have to I no longer recognize the Canadian currency yeah, till I find the queen. Until I have someone better on this coin, we need a better profile than that. Exactly. We deserve better. Have you looked at that note? It's. Horrendous. It's horrendous. <laughs> um, so over the years, uh, Earl's achievements have been recognized and honored in many ways by many people. He's been made a life member of the Nova Scotia Society for Artists and the Canadian Artist Council. Oh, that's um, nice. Because it's always like, it's tricky when it's like a local because you never know if it's like 
a nationally recognized person, especially when it's he like did, yeah. something a little more folky. Like I wouldn't say he's a no, folk he, artist. Yeah, but it's but, a little bit more folky. Yeah. Um, two of his paintings actually hang at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts from a oh, tour okay. he did there. Nice. Um, and he received uh, an honorary doctorate from Saint um, from Saint Effects. Uh, and a couple of his paintings hang there as well in their library. Nice. Um, he even wrote an autobiography with the help of his brother Don, titled Earl Bailey, His Trials and Triumphs. Did he write it with his teeth? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think Don might have written it. Don, yeah, Don might have um, written it. So Earl's works have been purchased by many collectors, including our boy, Franklin Roosevelt. Hell yeah. FDR. FDR. And William Lyon Mackenzie freaking King. Um, <laughs> FDR and WLMK. Yeah. Um, and the one and only unfathomable William Churchill. Oh, Winston Churchill. Winston I can't even talk. William Churchill. I'm reading William Lyon Mackenzie That's quite King. a trifecta. Right? So, um, and, and many members of Britain's royal family because the Queen was such a fan. Interesting. So it's like... Even when he moves into oil paintings and stuff, are seascapes still his exactly. primary thing? Okay. Seascapes, yeah, yeah. Seascapes are still, like, that's his primary, that's his That's his bed. go-to. He's kind of for, bit. like, the Blue Rocks area, like, rocks and sea. Imagine going to the Nova Scotia Art Gallery, and they're like, these are the works of Earl Bailey. His bit was doing seaside paintings. That's his bit. That's his primary bit. That's his bit. Um... So something that's interesting is that an Earl Bailey painting was actually given to Kate and William, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, oh. uh, for their wedding uh, by the Queen. Uh, so she she really like remembered and took into that's account. So sweet. Um, so some of his paintings have sold for more than ten thousand Canadian dollars. Wow. Uh, and most sell between the five hundred to two thousand range. So wow. he's that's kind of like his price range. And there are still Earl Bailey paintings um, at many galleries and at the Lunarburg Art Gallery to be sold. So he's still there so are they still, still sell. So they still have paintings by Earl Bailey that are for sale. Wow. Um, so he passed away at the age of 74 in our collective hometown oh. of Lunarburg, Nova Scotia. And uh, I saved this bit for last because in an interview with the Lunarburg Art Gallery, Earl said. My life has been rather rich and full, but trials still go on. However, I must remember, it is a miracle that I have ever painted at all. Oh, and that's the story of Earl Bailey. I love that. He's so sweet. That's Give it up for Lydia. Thank you. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for, I, I know. For such a famous Nova Scotia painter, I genuinely had, like, never heard of him. And I don't know if I would have known from other than the fact that I grew up in Lunenburg. Right. So, like, you know about the guy who painted with his mouth. And, like, my mom, like, when my mom was a kid, like, he was still alive. Yeah. And so, and, and so, like, she remembered, like, he would sit down at the waterfront and paint. And, like I said, anybody who, like, has the time, you should really just, like, pull out your phone and, like, Google Earl Bailey. Yeah. Um, there's two amazing photos of him with the queen both with times queen. he was with her and one is she is signing an autograph for him <laughs> and the other is just them together um and he's just like he just always has the biggest smile on his face just like seemingly such a charming man um yeah and i thought it was a really cool story to kind of bring to and i think he should have a minute he absolutely should. who do you think should play him oh 
There may need to be some CGI involved, maybe. To, to be but honest, like, looking at him, though, yeah. Benedict Cumber, whatever his name is. Benedict Cumberbatch? Really? Yeah. I love that. I really think he would be, like, fitting. Now, Earl, like I said, he has the deformity of, like, smaller arms and smaller legs, so his yeah. torso looks really large. But face-wise, I think he has a bit of a Benedict Cumberbatch like Feel. vibe. Yeah. It would also be really cool if the like the minute would have like Dawn in it. Oh yeah, his brother was a really huge part of his life. Like yeah, everything that I like everything that I like looked at, you know, his brother was with him at all the events. His brother uh, actually like was able-bodied and so sailed on the Blue Nose while Earl was on it. So oh, when okay. they did the trip, his brother like filled in and like sailed on oh, the ship. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and there's so yeah, he's got there's so many great pictures of him in the Nova Scotia archives with like Angus Walters and the Queen and like um, Winston Churchill and like just like he he just met so many cool people and he looks so like humble and just like excited in his photo. That's so nice. Like, and I love that it starts out where it's just like my brother was the person that needed to take me everywhere yeah. and then it like totally reverses to, like, like I'm, I'm the person brother. taking my brother everywhere yeah. so he can meet all these cool people it's and do these cool, cool experiences. And his brother just like every photo just looks like so pumped and like proud of it. Aww, it's really that. cute. So yeah well that was my should have been a minute. Well thank you for sharing that with uh, me. I, think, I, I really believe these both should have been minutes. Yeah. I should be. For different reasons. For different but, reasons. <laughs> I think uh, one is a little more serious but you know. Um, We did it again, and thank you everybody who came out yeah, to watch so Minute much. Women Live again. Thank you. It's like, it's our favorite thing to actually like come out yeah. and do it in front of people and have a good time, so. And it's very like, it's just, I don't know, it's just like a fun experience for Grace and I to be able to come out and talk about, talk to each other and just have like, you know, Grace and I really love to be the center of attention. Um, and so to be able to do that uh, and have a lot of our friends and family and people who support us come out just makes it even more special. So. Yeah. And thank you so much to Pickford and Black for hosting another edition of Pickford yes. in a podcast. Make sure to tip well. Make sure to tip very well. And uh, for those of you who haven't been following along with us on social media, we have another live show coming up that yeah. we'd love to promote, and that's happening on March 3rd at the Garden uh, Food Bar and Lounge. Yes, so if you want to come, if you had a good time and you want to do this again, you can yeah. come see us again. There will also be more editions of Pickford and Black's Pickford and yeah. a podcast, so keep an eye on the Pickford and Black social media or the BMV Media social pages to see yeah. when another edition of Pickford and a podcast will be running. They usually run on Thursdays, so you can be pretty sure of that. And if you want to keep up to date with us, you can follow us on our social medias. Yeah, we're on Instagram at Minute Women Podcast and Facebook at the same handle. And then we're on Twitter at The Minute Women. And we also have a website that's updated with all of our episodes and all of the sources that most of the time, 99.9% of the time that Grace uses. Um, and that's all at www.minutewomenpodcast.com. Oh, C-A. 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 <laughs> C-A, folks. Yeah, so thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Thank you.
Thank you, Rolex. Oh, we're done.